Hello, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Community Action, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Community Action Association, or NISCA for short. My name is Heidi Barkham, Program and Communications Director for NISCA. NISCA is the State Association for New York's Community Action Agencies, commonly known as CAAs. NISCA's mission is to strengthen the capacity of the Community Action Network to address the causes and conditions of poverty. NISCA was created in 1987 to provide CAAs in New York with professional development opportunities, training, and technical assistance. NISCA is the hub that brings together community action agencies in New York to network, share successes and challenges, and strategize to meet the needs of vulnerable New Yorkers. A community action agency, or CAA, is a local organization with the mission of reducing poverty through locally designed and delivered programs and services targeted to the specific needs of their community. The 47 CAAs in New York form a statewide service delivery system that connects individuals and families to the services they need to achieve economic status. When it comes to moving folks from poverty to self-sufficiency, community action agencies know what works. Today, we're talking with two of New York's CAAs about food insecurity, the needs it creates in their communities, and the innovative programs and solutions they employ to address these needs. Let's meet today's guests. Hi, um, my name is Lisa Goodrow. I work at JCEO of Clinton and Franklin Counties. I've been with JCEO for approximately 10 years um, within different departments. Um, I started in the med transportation field um, of JCEO and I have worked my way up to the community outreach program director. Nice. Um, my name is Chris Ellers and I work at CAP Cayuga Seneca and I've been here for the past eight years as a food security uh, director and within that my roles have changed a little bit but I also have been with community action organizations um, since 2007. So um, my first um, round with community action um, as a food security director was in Cattaraugus uh, County and um, now I'm in Cayuga and Seneca counties. Lisa and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your expertise related to food insecurities. Before we start, Lisa, can you just tell me, uh, excuse my uh, not knowing this, but can you tell me what JCEO stands for? Uh, yeah, it's Joint Council for Economic Opportunity of Clinton and Franklin Counties. Clinton and Franklin Counties. So that is the northern part of New York State, correct? That is correct. Okay. And Chris, you are in uh, Cayuga Seneca, which is what area of the state? Um, well, uh, Cayuga is in central New York and Seneca is in the Finger Lakes region. So um, I cover both counties and they're next to each other, but deal with different regions. Thank you. And we're going to talk today about food insecurities. And I'm wondering if before we dive into that conversation, if the two of you can just sort of explain what we mean by food insecurities and tell us in your own words how you would describe it. Um, I guess for me, food insecurity would be the inability to be able to provide consistent nutrition um, for your family financially. Um, it, it means that sometimes you have to choose between buying, um, paying your bills or providing food for your family. Um, and I think that's not a choice that many of us should have to make, unfortunately. Um, 
we're dealing with that though. Um, and I feel like that's increasingly becoming an issue. Yes, um, food insecurity um, is, for me anyway, is um, having access to nutritious foods, having the availability. Um, a lot of these people um, that we serve are in crisis and they're, you know, the poverty and there's also a lot of health issues with that as well. So um, food insecure sort of grasps all those and um, mostly the access to nutritious food for me. I agree. I think sometimes um, that also means like being able to um, access the grocery stores because we mm -hmm. live in very rural communities where um, transportation is an issue and you're having to shop at these little mom and pop stores that are probably double what you would pay if you were be able, being able to go to the actual grocery store um, and buy your food. So I, th I think it. it right, exactly. And with those mom and pops, and you know, sometimes they're just more of a convenience store and you're lacking the, the nutritional value as well. So that that goes on to another scope of issues as well. Absolutely. I think that's an interesting point because we often think of food insecurity as financial reason mm -hmm. for it, but it sounds like you're talking about what we would frequently call as a food desert. Is that a lot of times? Yes. Um, you know, um, there's so many places I, I know up in, you know, your area, Lisa, there's not a lot of uh, grocery stores. And when I say grocery stores, I mean like having access to quality foods that are nutritious as well as, um, you know, a choice. There's SNAP benefits and those kind of things that can help with people that are on, um, that are receiving SNAP benefits. But, um, you know, not all foods that are being provided within any uh, mom and pop shops or convenience stores are the best choices for these people. Unfortunately, sometimes the most affordable option is the most unhealthy option, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty sad. And I'm wondering when you are looking at your communities, who are the people that are facing food insecurities the most? Well, there's a range. Yeah, go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. There is a range. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of seniors that are having issues as well. They're on very fixed, limited incomes. Um, and they have the same issue that a lot of the other families face with transportation and getting to the grocery stores, mobility issues. Um, and then you also look at your SNAP households who you're trying to, you know, get them to stretch their dollars. But I think another portion that often gets overlooked is our are more of our like Alice families, our working families that um, don't receive SNAP and they are putting all of their paychecks into their bills and there's not much left over for food. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. There's that range from the seniors to the working class, right down to the people that are unable to um, access, um, that are on more of the benefits, the TANFs, um, or they're, you know, we also have a group of people that um, they're on a fixed income, the people that are um, disabled, um, people that can't get out of their homes, the homebound. And those are the people that um, 
tend to get forgotten or we can't reach them and they they don't have that capacity to um, find an outlet. So I want to back up for just a minute because Lisa, you mentioned something that is so important, but not everybody knows. Can you explain to us what Alice is? Alice is asset limited income constraint. And that is basically um, our more of our middle class population that is has generally has two working people in the household, but they're still struggling to make ends meet. They don't have a lot of money in their savings account. So something comes up, there's a car that breaks, um, they are having to put money towards that and it and it really puts a really um, hardship on them. So that's more of the the families that are Alice. Thanks for explaining that. Mm-hmm. So when you look at these populations and you look at what the needs are in your specific community, can you talk to us about what you're currently offering in your programs and in your agencies to address food insecurity? Um, JCO operates um, 13, well, 14, if you include our Franklin County um, site, food pantries um, throughout both counties, Um, the majority of them being in Clinton County, unfortunately. Um, We have uh, 13 uh, food pantries, 12 of which are in outreach centers, some of the towns throughout the county. Um, And then we have our main food pantry here at our JCO um, Margaret Street location. Um, That's kind of our hub um, that supplies all of the other 13 food pantries within the county. Um, We do Feeding America out of here, Um, and we serve roughly, I would say, sometimes 50, 40 to 50 people a day, 40 to 50 families a day in just this one location. Our outreach centers are a little bit less depending on the location where they are, Um, but they're, they're probably within probably five to 12 families per day in those as well. So we do all the ordering here for all of them and the distribution Um, and the Feeding America food. We have what's called, we call it free food, Um, the breads, the sweets and the produce, especially, which is the most important thing to get out to everyone, um, goes out to them once a week and people from the community are able to come in and get those foods. We don't ask for any documentation or anything for them. Um, We just um, let them access that food. 40 to 50 families a day is a significant number. It has grown substantially in the last, I would say, six months, and it continues to keep growing in both of our counties. Um, It just seems like the, I want to say we were at 828 um, households or individuals last year, or last month, sorry. (laughs) Last month, we had about 828 households that we served here in our main office. What do you contribute that growth to? I think the economy um, and the fact that a lot of families have become used to some of the COVID extras um, that were there. I mean, they were getting the pandemic SNAP benefits. Um, The schools were offering um, programs to help families um, with feeding their children and stuff during the summer and even during the school year. Uh, And now those programs are ended and they just kind of I think families don't really know what to do at that point because they've budgeted for so long with a certain amount and now they're back down to what they were getting pre-pandemic. 
And I also think everything's just really expensive. If you go into a grocery store now, you're walking out with maybe a quarter of what you used to get for the price that you paid before. Um, so it's and, and budgeting and knowing how to budget is, is an issue. And again, I mean, you're going into the store and you're going to go for what you can get the most out of, unfortunately. Um, for most of our families, that's, you know, the, the pre-packed meals or the, the stuff that is got all the, the preservatives and, and, you know, boxed stuff. So it's kind of, it's sad that that kind of food is cheaper than the healthy stuff that we all should be eating. Chris, can you talk to us a little bit about your food pantry structure in Cayuga Seneca? Yes, so we have uh, several different programs here at CAP, and we do a, we have two food pantries, one in each county that services all of the, each county, and then we provide a mobile food pantry as well. Um, we started that about eight years ago, and we were targeting more of the people that were homebound in more rural areas so that we could um, identify and assist with people um, so they can stay at home as well. You know, they um, they might not be able to get out of their home or but they can still cook for themselves. And this is a way for them to continue to live in their own home without, you know, moving into an assistant living or, you know, that kind of a a facility. So um, those two, um, the mobile is also done within the two counties and we cover all um, the whole areas. We also have uh, procured a food recovery program, which entitles, um, well, it, it re the resources that we um, get from our food recovery helps the 30 uh, emergency food providers within the two counties. So um, how that works is that we have a food security coordinator. Um, he reaches out to grocery stores, farmers, um, restaurants, um, wholesale um, organizations, and we recover food that would be thrown away. So then we pick up, um, food safety is also um, required for this grant. So um, the food security uh, coordinator and myself are both surf safe certified. So we can um, transport foods um, safely and store them safely. We sort um, the foods when we get them back to the uh, warehouse, and then we call up the emergency food providers to see what they need um, from our menu that we have. So um, with that being said, we, um, for the past five years, um, we've recovered well, one of the years anyway, the, the, the largest amount was 198,000 pounds of food. Um, so we work with, you know, Wegmans, we work with Tops, we work with um, Walmart, we have an organic farm uh, in Wayne County that um, has a, a growing um, season for us. Um, he's actually set aside 22 acres so that we can get fresh produce. Um, we work with um, local farmers, 
Um, we also procured some um, nutritious or uh, nourished New York funding through our food recovery program. So that provides us um, some funds so we can purchase and help out the local farmers and, um, you know, with milk, eggs, um, fresh produce and uh, cheese. We've done cheese as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful program. Um, it makes sense. It helps the landfills, and it also helps um, a lot of the people that are in need. And it's nutritious food. So those are some really innovative programs. I'm glad that you explained what the food recovery was because I had never heard of that. Mm -hmm. I'm also really cur curious about your partnership with the local farmer. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and how what that looks like in terms of who it helps and the structure of the program? Yes. So um, several years ago, uh, we were running our, our food recovery program and uh, a farmer in Wayne County, uh, Rose, New York, um, had a lot of broccoli and he couldn't get rid of it all. So he reached out to some people and they were like, oh, you should call CAP. They have a food recovery program. And um, so we connected and we went up and we got a lot of broccoli. So through that, we distributed it. Um, and one thing about fresh produce and these fresh products that are coming in, um, it's a quick turnover rate. So we need to um, get these products into people's hands quickly. Um, we are fortunate that um, a lot of our um, emergency food providers have um, different schedules so that, you know, there's always a food pantry or a soup kitchen or shelter that is in need um, during each week. You know, um, CAP, for instance, we're open every day. So we're, we're good. You know, we have that accessibility to um, food that is not moving or, or anything along that line. So um, we connected, got the broccoli, um, and that was probably a good six years ago. And about three years ago, um, we connected again. We had, um, we received, um, let's see, it was before the pandemic and the Nourish New York funding, but we had um, connected and he decided that he wanted to set aside this land. He liked what our mission was. He liked what we were doing, and he also really um, loved that we were getting good, nutritious food out to people that weren't um, getting it, were not um, purchasing it. You know, they couldn't purchase it. He believes that everyone ha should have access to nutritious food, and he's an organic farmer. Um, he has blueberries. He does kale. He, he does a range of all different things. So when we first started, um, he was starting to donate. You know, we were doing the, the pounds, um, recording the pounds coming in. Kale is a little hard to get rid of, 
but um, <laughs> we we're trying to be a little bit more um, imaginative, you know, creating recipes and getting that information out to all of our food providers that were um, saying, okay, I'll try it. We'll see how it goes. I also uh, partnered up with uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension. They do cooking classes. So um, she was going to these food provide, you know, the emergency food providers and demonstrating on how to, you know, cook kale and some other vegetables that may not be familiar. It wasn't a carrot or a, a cucumber, you know. So, um, and it was going well. Then the pandemic came along and um, our Nourish New York money came into play. So I offered it to him and he started growing a lot more. So we had zucchini, summer squash, beans, um, beets, Swiss chard, winter squashes, um, blueberries, apples, grapes. Um, he had an orchard. He also has a chestnut a grove that he works with Cornell Cooperative or Cornell University with. Um, so uh, he, he had and he's a garlic, um, he's the beginning of the garlic foundation as well. So he has a lot of garlic to also spread the word. And, you know, we hand out garlic a lot. So, so um, this is a, a long-term partnership that is. has benefited your agencies and your, well, your agency and your communities in a lot of ways, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's that's wonderful. Lisa, I'm wondering if you can talk with me a little bit or with us a little bit about how you are accessing and providing some of the healthy food and the food to your food pantries. Um, so I'm very avidly looking on the um, Regional Food Bank website for anything that is healthy and we order that and provide that to them. Um, but we also have a greenhouse, two of them, in our Franklin County um, Outreach Center. And we've recently partnered with Cornell Cooperative Extension to pro um, procure a horticulturist. Um, oh, nice. And they have started growing in there. Um, we've just started seeing the benefits of it. We got started a little bit late this year. There was a lot of work to be done. Um, but we anticipate that we're going to have some really good um, produce coming out of the greenhouses. Um, so we use that to supply our food pantry up in Malone, and we also have our mobile markets that we operate um, in Malone, right in the, the city part of Malone. Well, I call it the city. Malone's not really much of a city, but um, <laughs> and uh, those operate weekly um, with, I believe we're on four different stops this year. Last year, we had more stops. Um, and we went a little further out of the Malone area. However, staffing's kind of been an issue this year, and so is funding, um, the main issue being staffing. Um, but we work on getting into the low-income housing this year um, with the mobile market. That way there, um, we're kind of bringing the produce to them. We accept SNAP in the mobile market, so that gives them options to pay for um, the produce with that. Feeding America, um, which is the partnership that we have with Regional Food Bank, we get produce from Sam's Club, uh, Walmart, Target, um, and Price Chopper or Market 32. Um, they provide us with quite an abundance of produce. Um, we've been very fortunate um, to get that and be able to get that out into the community. And again, that's part of our program where we don't ask for any information. We just, um, mm -hmm. we get it out to our outreach centers um, once a uh, 
once a week in each outreach center, people can come and access those items. And I mean, I think we have papayas downstairs, pineapples, mm -hmm. uh, mangoes. And uh, as Christina said, sometimes it is a struggle to get people to want to take certain items. So we try to come up with different ways to, you know, either hand out a recipe or um, post something so that people can see what they can do with the items. Um, try to get staff familiar with the items too, because some of the staff don't even know what some of the fruits and vegetables are <laughs> that come in. Um, so we just kind of work with them to, to get them, you know, excited about at least trying it. It's been pretty successful so far. So you, you both have some pretty creative and innovative programs. It, it sounds like. And I'm wondering if you can talk to me about how you identified that these innovative programs would benefit your communities and how you created them. Well, the greenhouses were a little bit before my time, but I believe that um, whoever came up with the idea um, was thinking that it would be nice to have that produce available to ourselves um, at a lower cost. Um, it definitely was a learning curve because if you don't know much about growing fruits and vegetables, sometimes uh, you can get yourself into a little bit of a sticky situation, <laughs> but um, we've worked really hard at getting them where they need to be. Um, and I think that just looking at the communities as a whole and knowing that, especially in Malone, there's there's, I think, Walmart and Price Shopper, um, and those are right in the heart of Malone. If you get into the rest of Franklin County, you really don't have a lot of options for getting fresh food um, other than some of the local farm stands. Um, so I think that was probably part of the motivation of getting the greenhouses up and running. Who actually works in the greenhouses? Um, so we have a couple of our Franklin County staff that help out but right now it is uh her name's Laura and I can't remember her last name but she is a horticulturist um that Cornell hired and we subtract with subcontract with them um to have her provide all of the her expertise um and so far it's been very beneficial because um what we have growing in there is I think really gonna come along nicely are either of you doing any projects that support people with growing their own produce? We aren't currently. Um, we do um, the prison in Malone. I think it's in Malone. Um, we provide them with seeds every year. Um, and then they keep a portion and they give us the rest of their yield. Um, but I think one year we did do like um, senior outreach did these little buckets like a community mm -hmm. garden bucket um, and all the um, they distributed them out to a lot of the seniors in the area and those went over really nicely but I think that that would be something that we would love to look into into the future because I think a lot of people just don't have the knowledge or even the means to purchase you know the items to start one and once you do it they actually yield quite a bit of stuff yes so um CAP um, has partnered with a local, <clears throat> excuse me, a local um, center. Um, it's called uh, Booker T. Washington. And um, when I first started, we partnered with Montezuma 
uh, refuge. And um, there was a, a woman also doing a, um, her doctorate, um, it was a, her project. So um, they reached out to me, um, we all partnered together and we created a butterfly dash vegetable garden for that um, center. And what we did, we, we got lots of um, people that were living in that area as volunteers. And we worked together to build a garden in the shape of a butterfly. And then it was also a, uh, a vegetable garden. So um, we had a lot of donations through Lowe's and Home Depot, those kind of things, manpower from the volunteers. And we created this. So the partnerships and and it's still in in going today. You know, they they utilize it um, as a garden, um, as a pollinating garden, as well as a vegetable garden. They use the produce for their um, after school project or programs. <clears throat> We also worked with our uh, local BOCES. They have a summer garden where they do employ um, some of their um, the, the students during the summer and volunteers come in as well to help um, um, plant and maintain the garden. And then they distribute to all the, the local food pantries within the Auburn area. And we'd go up and pick up stuff. Um, if there was anything left over, they would reach out to us and then we would distribute it through our, our food recovery program. So um, yeah, we also work with a local college for our seed bank and um, we're, we get seeds and then we provide seeds to the emergency food pantries and then they hand them out to their families as well. And those buckets, the buckets are great. You know, um, you can do so much with those uh, tomatoes. You can put cucumbers in them, squash, any, anything. And um, those are really nice for people that are living in apartments that have, um, you know, the their little um, back area um little porches and they can have you know some fresh stuff right there for them so um those are some of the community things that we do um we also promote a um a campaign it's it's called <coughs> excuse me um grow an extra row so um every march march april may um we put out a big flyer um just to 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 promote um, um, Grow an Extra Row to all the families that are growing gardens. And then to uh, then in turn, go ahead and donate that to their local food pantries. So um, yeah, Grow an Extra Row is a good, is a good project. That's a wonderful idea because it's, it's not that complicated if you're already growing a garden to throw an extra row in. So I, I really right. like that idea and it's a catchy title. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can talk to me about what impact your programs, your food related programs have had on your community and if you've had any feedback from people that you can share with us. I think most of the feedback we get are from the families that come in, um, very thankful and grateful that we have the services um, to assist them. Um, a lot of them want to, you know, just, they're just thanking everyone down there. And most of our programs are volunteer-based. Uh, we do have full two full-time staff here in Clinton County um, and our outreach centers are staffed, but 
the the main bulk of what's done here is a lot of volunteers. So um, the community really, really supports that. Um, as far as the impact, I, I don't know that we have data that supports it, but I can only imagine what it would be like if we didn't provide this service, given the amount of people that are accessing it. What more do you think is needed in your communities? We definitely need more food. Um, I think, especially as we move forward into this year, um, I think things are probably going to get even more tight and services are going to be um, accessed even more than they are now. So I believe that definitely food is going to be a huge um, thing as we continue to go on. Um, and funding for that is very limited. Um, we rely very heavily on community donations and um, what we get from Feeding America. Um, obviously, we get stuff from Regional Food Bank too, um, but the bulk of it is community donations and um, our Feeding America program. Chris, what more do you think is needed in your community? Well, food is definitely probably the top but I also think that we we need to do a better job to reach the people that are not being reached, um, whether that be senior sites, um, whether that be, you know, homebound individuals that are out in the rural areas that are either a little too proud to admit that they need help, um, that outreach is necessary. I've worked um, as a NOOP coordinator, uh, which is a nutrition outreach education program through Hunger Solutions for a year and a half at Cattaraugus Community Action. And um, I know the outreach that I did um, was very, it was meaningful in the sense that people didn't realize that the, these programs even existed, even, you know, back in 2007, you know, so um I think the educational piece is very important. And um, if we could find some more staff, some more money for staff, you know, those kind of things, um, that would be helpful to be able to have just an outreach team to get out there and identify more of the people that we are missing, because I know we are missing them. You know, the senior population, um, seniors have a, a very deep you know, it's they're right in my heart all the time. And I, I really wish that we there was more for them, because I think they are forgotten. And um, doing more for them right now. Um, you know, like you were saying, Lisa, the economy, food is, is uh, a basic need. And um, there's a lack of it. There's a lack because of how expensive it is. Um, transportation issues right across the board. I mean, all of New York State has transportation transportation issues in those rural areas. And people want to be at home. They don't, they, and they'll be at home as long as they possibly can be before they have to, to go and get more assistance. So those Anything are my else? thoughts. <laughs> I agree. I think with seniors too, there's also the stigma. They don't, they don't like to ask for help. I think it's kind of a generational thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of times our numbers when it comes to senior citizens are really down. We don't, we don't see as many as I know there probably are um, that are in need, um, which is sad because that is a, our, one of our vulner most vulnerable populations. So 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask, in the past few years, our society, our communities have changed so much, right? We're still shifting, I think, and trying to figure out, it feels like the new normal is different every six months to a year. So I'm wondering if your programs have had significant shifts in how they work or how you have had to manage them in the past few years. I know for us, COVID um, presented its own challenges, um, but we really came together and um, worked out some ideas that worked. Um, We were providing delivery to anyone who was quarantined um, and needed food. Mm -hmm. Um, We also were operating by appointment only because we were letting limited people in the building. And with that appointment only, unfortunately, our numbers went down, I think, significantly because most of the population we serve are more in the moment, if they're in need. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not planning it out. And then you're playing phone tag too um, with getting people in. So we've went back to walk-ins and our numbers have grown, I think, just exponentially. It's it's been, it's been it's been a little overwhelming, honestly, just how many people who are accessing services. But um I think that Everyone worked really well to provide what was needed for the community, but now that we're back to normal, our numbers are are definitely much better. We have um, over the over the past um, through the pandemic, obviously, have changed many different ways on how we run our business in the food pantry. So we did a lot of the um, mobiles. Uh, we got we we opened it up to basically anyone. Our numbers went up, you know, we were doing over 500 deliveries within, uh, you know, a two-week, three-week period of time. Through that, we we have learned that, you know, like Lisa was saying, a lot of the, the people that we serve are in the moment, you know, they don't think too much ahead and they don't plan. Um, not all of them, but quite a few of them. So we were... We've started, well, we've started looking at a data, a menu online, almost like an Instacart kind of thing for our food pantry. So um, we are implementing that right now. It's called Link to Feed. And a lot of people can put in their uh, requests for a menu and their order, and it gets sent to us. And we then in turn, um, pack the box and they can come and pick it up. That definitely helps with the phone calls, you know, having, we, we still get them and we still spend a lot of time on it, but, um, it, it's going, it's going to change, you know, um, but there's also an issue with that too. You know, not all of our, our customers are the people that we serve utilize a computer or have a phone that can be able to do something like that. So, um, we're trying to make it more accessible for people to place their, their food pantry order. But I'll, I'll get back to you and see and let you know how that turns out. <laughs> Please do let us know. Yes. No, I just wanted to add um, one of the other things that we did before the pandemic, we were, um, we had like a menu based system where we had, I think it was like 14 or 15 different dinner options and we had breakfast and lunch and they got to choose and we just packed 
um, for them. Um, it was more of a time issue with the amount of people that we were serving. But we find that we wanted to change that back to being a choice pantry mm-hmm. and letting people come in and make it more of a shopping experience. So we we really did a complete overhaul of our pantry. And um, we now have what looks like a little mini grocery store mm-hmm. um, as our pantry. Um, and people go through and they are allowed to pick what they want. And then we have our produce and all of our other stuff. But um, I think it's just, it's changed the atmosphere of our food pantry. I think Mm -hmm. it just, it seems less like a food pantry and more like a dignified shopping experience. There you go. So so I, I think that that was one of the things that we did after the pandemic that I think we're most proud of. It just, Mm -hmm. it's a much better setup. Nice. Do either of you have success stories, um, either from participants or your community in general that you'd like to share with us? I guess I don't really have anything like specific. I just, I feel like what we did with, with changing our whole program and, and working on the greenhouses um, isn't a single success story, but it is going to help the community and, and provide a much better service experience for everyone. So my success um, story has a lot to do with more of collaboration and using our um, emergency food providers and bringing them together. So when I first started, they um, were meeting monthly for a food providers network meeting. And um it seemed like, you know, it was the same kind of routine. They would come and they would say, yep, we're in, our numbers are increasing, da, 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 da. So um, I asked them what they wanted from these meetings. And we started bringing more of um, the community resources within Cayuga County um, into our meetings so that um, they could promote what they offer and then thereby the coordinators could then in turn go back to their programs and sort of advertise the resources available. So as we have started growing together um, and utilizing and helping each other as a network, um, we are now having people share food and that is wonderful because each food pantry program within each county, you know, they're, they're trying to find more resources um, for their programs. They need more food as well. So everyone, all the volunteers have, you know, within each program, bring their own story, bring their own um, information. They might know someone that works here or there, and that in turn gets these donations. So Um, As our food recovery program has grown over the past five years, and we just got awarded for the next five years, so that's a great thing. That is a great thing. So the collaboration amongst the food network, um, the food providers, just has, it's so great to see them working together and helping each, each other out. And if they have extra, extra, then they call Kirk, you know, our food recovery coordinator with the food recovery program to distribute it to other places. But I think that is one great thing. And I'm sure Lisa would agree on the the aspect that, you know, no one program can do everything on their own and you so need the community as a whole to contribute and work together um, to fight this 
food insecure issues that we all have across New York State. And that really I, speaks to community action, the whole uh, collaboration and inclusivity. It, it's just a wonderful example of that. Lisa, you were going to say something, though? I agree. Um, we we definitely partner with um, a lot of agencies throughout the counties, throughout both counties, um, and we share resources. Um, we share an abundance of Feeding America food if um, the soup kitchens, if we get like larger donations of things for the soup kitchens, um, we reach out to each other if there's something that we, we might need um, to see if the other person may be able to share. Um, so I think that sense of community and just partnering um, is is very prevalent in our counties. And it sounds like it is in Christina's too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we could all do it alone um, without the support of all the other agencies. Right. And one another thing too, and I'm, I'm going to have to plug them only because they are probably one of both of our, our greatest supporters is the CNY Food Bank. Um, you know, Food Bank of Central New York does a wonderful job in supporting the counties that they, they go and um, distribute food to. For me, for Seneca County, uh, food link, you know, if we didn't have these food banks across the region, there would be major issues. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure people know that those those supports are greatly appreciated and needed. I think that that is uh, an excellent point to make that, you know, again, nobody does this alone. So I appreciate that. You've both mentioned some excellent programs and innovative programs that you have in your communities. And I'm sure that there are people listening who are thinking, I want to learn more about that or, oh my gosh, I need that help and I didn't know it was available. So you can you please tell us um, where people can find you online if they'd like more information, if they need help, or to get involved. Our email address, our my email address is lgoodrow at jco.org, um, and you can go to our jco.org website and find me as well. And it also has a listing of a lot of the services that JCO provides, including um, statistics on what we've done in previous years. Lisa, can you give us that email address one more time a little more slowly? Yep, uh, it's jceo.org, and my email address is lgoodrow at jceo.org. Thank you. And Chris, where can we get in touch with you if people have questions or need some help? Yes, um, so um, my email address is cellers, which is E-H-L-E-R-S, at caphelps, C-A-P-H-E-L-P-S. Org. Thank you so much, both of you. Lisa and Chris, we really appreciate you joining us for Lights, Camera, Community Action. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your time, your information, and all of these great ideas about innovative programs to address food insecurity in communities. And thank you so much for joining us. And we appreciate that. Have a great day. Thank, thank you. you.